How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again. And today, as it is Saturday, our tradition is Q&A day. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything you'd like to talk about, discuss, or whatever, please go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. <clears throat> and today we got a little bit of a special. Uh, we're going to be doing another reaction, but uh, a good one. It's, uh, it's a video that uh, that uh, I was shown. It's from a fairly newer YouTube channel called Expedition Bible. I don't know if you've heard of it or if you are subscribed to them or not. There's really starting to uh, be an up-and-coming channel. Expedition Bible does fantastic, fantastic work as they uh, uh, are proving all the different accounts and things in the Old Testament and the New Testament by showing you the, the places uh, where these events and things are located, all this, and showing the validity, uh, the, the, the power of the, of the facts of the matter of the biblical stories. It's some fantastic videos. He shows you the archaeological discoveries that prove the Bible true and there was one video that he did as he's over in Israel and Jerusalem and there's uh, apparently a fairly strong Mormon presence. And he did a video where he sat down with a Mormon fella and they discussed the validity of the Mormon claims of, their, of the Mormon prophets and the Mormon doctrines. And it's a, such a powerful video. He did such an excellent, excellent job on presenting the true gospel of Jesus Christ and refuting Mormonism that uh, I wanted to share the video with you folks. So in this, also, I have a link in the description as well. And I would strongly recommend you folks go check out his channel and subscribe. Show him your support, like, like in the videos, and check out all of his content. He's got fantastic stuff. So it's one of my favorite YouTube channels as well. So I just wanted to give him a great shout out and just send him uh, more support by telling more people to go and subscribe to his account and check out his stuff. So please make sure you do that. Uh, but uh, meanwhile... Uh, what uh, what I want to do here is do a, a base run through again of what the Mormons believe, what the Mormons are all about, and then we get into the uh, video. I'll be playing the video and be talking about it as we go through uh, a video of him sitting down uh, and discussing what the Mormons actually believe. He did a fantastic job on setting up his video on this and the way he presents it as well. So I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. I have a link to the direct video as well in the description and a link to his uh, YouTube account. So please make sure you check out these things as well. All right. So uh, before we get going, um, make sure you grab your Bibles, your tea, your coffee, grab your notepads and pens. Come join us at the table as we study the Word of God. And uh, what I want to do is start off this with looking at a passage in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, 
Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, the word accursed here is the closest you can, you can get to damnation, condemnation by God. And basically, this is what it's representing. Accursed of God, cursed of God, hated of God. And we see other gospels, other gospels that contradict the biblical gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Other gospels are accursed of God that uh, there's no salvation in them. God does not support them. They are not loved of God. They do not serve the same Christ, same God, same scriptures. Uh, they are in opposition to the Lord God, Jesus Christ. So we must remember this because there are many people who are more of the liberal-minded Christians, uh, more of the progressive uh, Christian types, where they think that, you know, as long as they love Jesus, believe in Jesus, and all that, that they're all good. We're all on the same page. That they're just they're just worshiping Christ. They're just worshiping God, just differently than you. But they're the same as us. They're our brothers and sisters. No, they're not. No, they're not. Absolutely, categorically, are not. Uh, the biblical gospel is very strict. It has a set uh, a system to it of how uh, we are born again, saved. And anything that would uh, diminish the person of Christ or change the person of Christ, anything that would add to or subtract from the work of Jesus Christ is a curse of God. And this is something that you must understand. It doesn't matter how much they say they love God, love Christ, all this. It doesn't matter what how good a person they say they are. If they contradict the biblical gospel, then they're simply not of Christ. And so we're going to take a look at Mormonism and what Mormonism actually believes and what the Bible actually says. All right. So good morning, good morning. How's it going? But before we get going to that, to see if anybody has anything here. So good morning, good morning. Okay, we have uh, Kimberly says, can we discuss Calvinism again? <laughs> well... All right, uh, it's, it's a huge topic. It takes a long time. We have done that a lot of times previously, and I have an entire playlist actually dedicated to this topic on Calvinism versus Scripture. That's the title of the playlist on our channel, Calvinism versus Scripture, and I got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of resources in there, in that uh, playlist, so make sure you check that out. But basically, simply put, any doctrinal system, theological system that that's actually named after a man, you can kind of bet it's going to have issues. Let alone that, but uh, needless to say, you go by the base ideas of unconditional election, completely false, irresistible grace, completely false, limited atonement, blasphemy. Uh, and uh, perseverance of the saints, heretical, uh, the idea that we have to persevere, we all, all of this, we have to hold it in, in that sense, it, completely false. And anything that changes 
what the Bible actually says. You see how Calvinism does linguistic theft, linguistic theft, where they steal certain words out of the Bible and deliberately change, alter the very meanings of the words, all, any, whosoever, all those. Um, they change the very meanings of these in changing the context of scripture, limiting the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all a bunch of nonsense. Uh, that uh, that is heresy, blasphemy, all of that. And let alone, it's based on an, on a guy named uh, named uh, John Calvin, and he was actually inspired in his doctrines by Augustine, who was a Gnostic and a father of the Catholic Church. And uh, John Calvin was inspired by him, and so that's where he gets a lot of his ideas based off of Augustine. And people say, well, you don't know Calvinism. That is the straw man argument that comes by anyone that, uh, that in their attempts to defend and justify their stance. You just don't understand it. Right. Okay. But if we actually just take just the Bible, only the Bible, and see what it says, you'll see all these other systems don't line up. And let alone any theological position that tells you you can't just read the Bible. You have to have all of our books tell you what the Bible says. That's the first red flag of a cult. So just some things in that. Okay. Uh, Vic says, what are, what are your thoughts on the Berean Bible? It's apparently a big topic lately. Um, not aware of it. Not really aware of it. Um, the Berean Bible. I can't say I've actually heard of it. Unless it's newer. Or I just haven't paid attention. I haven't really heard of it, I don't think. Okay. Um, so, what I want to dive into now. Is the. Doctrines here. The beliefs of the Church of Mormon, the Church of Latter-day Latter Saints of Jesus Christ is what they also call themselves, the LDS, LDS, Mormon, uh, uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. They go by these names. Now, some of them call themselves Mormons and they don't call themselves Latter-day Saints. Some call themselves Latter-day Saints and refuse to call themselves Mormons. So there is a little bit of a mini schism going on in their own cult. But uh, there's some things about them that you need to be aware of. They are not Christians. They say they are. They do not believe in the biblical gospel. They do not believe in the biblical Jesus. They have their own Jesus. They have their own gospel. And we're going to be going down through some of this. And it's absolutely reprehensible when you take a look at what they're actually all about. Now, how it starts is Joseph Smith. Back in the 1800s, the early 1800s, he uh, was a bit of an outcast and a bit of an odd duck. And he loved stories and myths and all these things. And he was also a dabbler of the occult, a dabbler into divination. Um, he, he liked to use uh, the... Uh, now, you know, you, you may have heard of what water dowsing, water witching, where you use the rods and you uh, tries to find you. That's a form of occult divination. Well, he would do that, but he would actually, instead of doing it for water, he would try to find treasure. 
He would try to find treasure and artifacts and things on people's farms. So he would go to people's farms and he would uh, ask if he could do this stuff to find things in their property. So this is one of the things that led up to this. He was also uh, into a form of divination called stone scrying, where you take a stone, a polished stone, and you would put it in a uh, either a box or a bucket or a hat or something, and you would you would hold it up close to your face and you stare into the stone, and you would go into a trance, and you would see, hear things, the spirits would visit you, and all of this. And this is something he actually would participate in regularly. He was known for this. He was also known for visiting the cemeteries in the evening. He was caught a number of times in the cemeteries uh, practicing necromancy, conjuring the spirits of the dead and speaking with the spirits of the dead. He was arrested, actually, arrested for crystal ball gazing. And back uh, when America used to have anti-witchcraft laws, he was arrested for witchcraft and charged with uh, witchcraft and using crystal balls and, and jailed for this and fined, actually. And anyways, one day he actually was uh, using his magic uh, divination stone. He was stone scrying and he was visited by a spirit that claimed to be an angel of God. And this spirit named itself Moroni. And he and this Moroni taught Joseph Smith the doctrines of the duality, uh, that there's good and evil, evil and good, and that good and evil are just polar opposites working together. And they taught uh, Joseph Smith the, about the duality and taught him the doctrines of Mormon. Now, in the doctrines of Mormon, it uh, we start with that that to understand and and believe that the doctrines of Mormon are true, yet you would search with your heart the doctrines and you call upon the Lord about this and and if it is true that God will give you a sensation, you will get what's called a burning in the bosom, a burning in the bosom and and this will is the proof by God that the doctrines of Mormon are true. Yeah, okay. Just means he ate something, but by dinner that didn't sit well. Anyways, um, they also hold that there are many extra books, lost books that God revealed to Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith uh, wrote these books down the Pearl of Great Price and all the rest of the books uh, by Joseph Smith that, that you must have in addition to reading the Bible because because all of these other uh, books by Joseph Smith will tell you what the Bible actually means. And they rewrote the Bible and they have a whole slew of extra books of extra prophets and whatnot that we'll be getting into shortly. And that the Mormon church also teaches that there are a multiplicity of gods in the universe. And there are tons and tons and tons of gods of all other planets. And that if you're a good Mormon, when you convert to Mormonism, if you're a dude, if you're a guy, you'll be given a special set of magic mystic underwear. Special mystic linen underwear that you must always wear. And you can only take it off to go to the bathroom or shower bath kind of thing, but you must put it back on. If you die not wearing your magic linen underwear, you can't be a god of your own planet. 
But if you if you are a good Mormon and you wear your magic linen underwear until you die, you you will then be translated and changed, and you'll become a god of your own planet. And Mormon women are eternally giving birth to spirit babies to populate the Mormon god planets. Anyways, at the beginning, though, uh, of Earth, uh, as the Mormons teach it, uh, that Jehovah God is just one of the many gods. And actually, if I have this correct, they believe that it was Adam. Adam, the first man, what became God somehow. Or I'm not sure how that works, uh, how they work that one out. But anyways, but that God... Um, he, he needed to figure out a way to bring all the people of earth around to believing in him. And so he uh, called all the gods of the universe to a, to a special god council uh, on the space station Kolob. Not planet. Space station. Space station. You know, like Star Wars or something. But a space station. The space station Kolob and all the gods gathered together at the special council and, and uh, God asked them all about how we should do this. And Lucifer stood up and had an idea uh, that we should force the people of earth to worship, force the people to believe. And then Jesus stood up and said, no, we should uh, make it a choice that the people choose to believe or not. Because, you know, according to the Church of Mormon, according to Joseph Smith, that was taught by this spirit demon angel named Moroni, that Jesus and Lucifer are spirit brothers. They're spirit brothers born out of God having endless celestial sex with goddesses. And so, what happened with uh, all this spiritual orgies? Uh, anyways, many many gods were birthed, and Jesus and Lucifer, spirit brothers, equals. They are complete equals. And anyway, so at the God Council, Jesus says, "No, we should have the people of Earth choose." And then all the other gods of the universe at the Council said, "said said agreed with Jesus and rejected the position that was offered by Lucifer." So Lucifer got mad, and he uh, uh, wound up swaying a third of the angels to side with him and and trying to convince all the other gods to side with lucifer and they rejected him and they got mad started a bit of an uproar a bit of a riot and and so god kicked lucifer and those and the third of the angels out of heaven and as they were kicked out of heaven uh, as they were falling to earth okay as lucifer and the third of the angels were falling to earth God removed out of them all good because they were so evil now, so angry at God, that as they fell, they became black. And black with sin and evil and wickedness. And when they came to earth, you, you can, and this is, I, I, okay, you must understand, folks. I'm literally quoting the doctrines of Mormon. This is not what I believe. This is absolutely reprehensible. 
This is directly out of the doctrines of Joseph Smith of the Church of Mormon. Go look it up yourself. They said, now Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, said, and I quote, you know where the demons are because they're in the black people. That's why they're black, because that's where the demons went. And according to the Church of Mormon, black people could not go to heaven pre-1978. In 1978, they kind of did away with that one because, you know, it's just a little bit racist. It's just a little bit wrong. So they kind of stopped teaching that one. They don't denounce it. They don't condemn it because their most holy prophet, Joseph Smith, said it. So, But they, they just don't repeat it anymore. They just kind of ignore that one. They just kind of push that one in the closet and lock the door and don't really touch that one. Just saying. Anyway. Also, according to the Church of Mormon by Joseph Smith, polygamy is a very common thing, which you're probably all aware of in Utah. It's especially known because, well, let's let's just go down through the list i'll get to that one it's just there's so much anyways you got polygamy burning in the bosom the extra books the mystic underwear oh, oh 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 and also i should also mention before we get going um um yeah in the in the high church of satan in the high church of satan uh anton levey the founder of the church of satan in san francisco he is literally on record of saying uh, and teaching. This is one of the things they actually teach new converts to the high church of Satan. That they say that if at any time you're you're in trouble and you're struggling in your in your worship of Lucifer and all of this, and you're starting to doubt the, the church of Satan, all these things, having a lot of trouble, you call upon Lucifer and Lucifer will send you three mormon missionaries these three mormon missionaries will be sent by lucifer to your door go with them because they believe as we do i'm not kidding the high church of satan literally says the church of mormon believes as they do and if you actually go and take a look at the main headquarter high church of the church of mormon Take a look at the pictures of the upper outside edges of their building. It's covered in pentagrams. It's covered in pentagrams. Uh, all on the outside, on the upper uh, edges of the Church of Mormon. It's covered in pentagrams. Take a look at Joseph Smith's tomb. His tomb is covered in occultic and Illuminati Freemasonry symbolism and iconography. Anyways, just saying. So let's take a look at some of the doctrines of the Church of Mormon. The Mormon doctrines teach that Jesus and Satan are equal spirit brothers. Both are equal brother gods born out of the Lord having endless celestial sex with goddesses. Mormonism denies that Jesus Christ is almighty God in the flesh as scripture teaches. And they say Jesus is just one of, one of the many gods, he, but he is not almighty God. The Church of Mormon teaches that you must 
you must maintain good works and law keeping in addition to other Mormon tenets to get to heaven or to become a god yourself. They deny, categorically deny, salvation by grace through faith alone. Mormonism says that Jesus is married to a goddess. And some say, actually, multiple goddesses. That Jesus is married and he, he may even be a polygamist. In Church of Mormon, some sects actually say this. There, there, like I mentioned, there are some schisms in the Church of Mormon. Some are crazier than others, but they're all absolutely insane anyways. Some sects of the Church of Mormon, and now this is actually hard for me to actually say. Some sects say that Satan, Lucifer, is actually just Jesus's bad side. That Jesus it has an evil side. That Jesus is bipolar. And when Jesus has angry fits or whatever and Jesus is evil, that's just the Satan side of Jesus. That's the Church of Mormon. Anyways, and on a bit of a lighter note, the Church of Mormon uh, actually has... Uh, Joseph Smith was opposed by so many people. He to to found his cult. He kind of had to get away from regular society. So he had a prophecy, and uh, that that the Lord or Moroni or whatever was told him, and he actually told people that that he had a revelation, and he knows where the lost Garden of Eden is. And so he convinced people that he knew where the Garden of Eden was and that they were going to go find the Garden of Eden. And he told people that the Garden of Eden is in Missouri. And so he convinced all of his followers to sell everything they had and pack up their wagons and go on a long caravan trip to, to find the Garden of Eden in Missouri. And, well, they didn't so they settled in utah mormon mormonism also teaches that uh, well you can get to heaven by being dunked in water you can also be saved and especially if you died and you weren't saved in the church of mormon well they could just baptize your corpse well uh, mormonism baptizes dead people to get them into heaven the church of mormon uh like i already covered that one i already covered that one i already covered that one. Oh yeah i mentioned this but i'm just going to actually read the bit joseph smith practiced witchcraft was arrested in 1826 for crystal ball gazing was caught practicing necromancy to contact the spirits of dead relatives. He used stone scrying witchcraft to contact angels to teach him Mormonism. An angel named Moroni appeared and taught him all of this. Uh, and, and to end it all, uh, uh, this most holy prophet, Joseph Smith, uh, was so evil, was so wicked, he actually got into trouble with the law and Joseph Smith died in a gun battle with police. He was filled with lead poisoning uh, on charges of murder 
kidnapping, and polygamy. And uh, according to the Church of Mormon back in that time, if a dude saw another woman that he really wanted and she was a married woman, well, they would just kill the guy, kill the husband and kidnap the wife and abduct her and take her as their wife now. And that's what they did. They did that a lot. And so people complained. And Joseph Smith died by mass lead poisoning. And he was also a massive adulterer, a pathological liar, a practitioner of witchcraft, and a teacher of Luciferianism. That is the Church of Mormon. Um, and also, FYI, if you want to see the actual arrest records, you actually want to see the arrest records of Joseph Smith, you can actually find them on www.xmormon.org slash mormon slash mormon 430 uh, you can actually find it there um the actual arrest records of joseph smith they actually have like you can see the photocopy of the paper the the document of the arrest record of joseph smith and uh yeah so that's the church of mormon they teach, uh, however, that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, and he may even be Satan himself, depending, and that you get to heaven by your good works and law keeping. And at the, oh yeah, and at the great white throne judgment, at the great white throne judgment, it won't be Jesus sitting on the throne judging you. It'll be Joseph Smith. Okay, on that lovely note, the Bible says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So, there you go. The Bible is very clear on this. Anything that contradicts this, the scriptures, is a curse of God. Anything that contradicts the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God, anything that contradicts this is a curse of God. Okay. Now. What, what I'm about to play now is a video now, what's the fellow's name? Someone put it up here. I'm always forgetting people's names. Uh, where'd it go? Joel Kramer. Joel Kramer, he's a fantastic, fantastic uh, archaeologist, uh, history buff, and a powerful witness and evangelist of the truth of the Lord, of the Word of God, the Gospel of Christ. He has a fantastic work uh, of showing people the truth of the Word of God by showing them the actual places and things and stuff that they discover that proves the validity of the stories of the Bible. And again, his YouTube channel is called Expedition Bible. And you can check it out uh, afterwards. I have the link in the description to the video that I'll be playing and also a link to his YouTube channel. And I just, again, want to give a, a great shout out to Joel Kramer and his YouTube channel, uh, Expedition Bible. And I want to play his video of him uh, uh, sitting with a Mormon and discussing the doctrines of Mormon and comparing it to what the Bible actually says. And also for the record, 
Um, this uh, all, all the Christian coffee time videos are not monetized. In case somebody gets it in the in their head that I'm doing this for the views and the money and, and all of the stuff. We aren't doing this for any money. We are not monetizing any of our material. None of our videos are monetized. We're not doing it for any of that kind of thing. This is all just to study the Bible. This is all free. All of our videos that we do, our videos for, are for free for download and all of this. But again, just make sure any video that we do of our reaction, playing of other people's material, make sure you give them the credit and all this stuff by putting their stuff in the description like we have as well to uh, just to give them the fair respect that they deserve in this for, for their material in this also so we just don't get in trouble or anything because some people try to do that but anyways um anything else before we get going okay i guess not Alrighty, going down through the comments anything i missed before we get going um Yes, and as Evelyn says, very similar to Muhammad, and it said he was visited by an angel. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Vic says, there's a goofy cartoon that Latter-day Saints produced back in the day. It was to indoctrinate children. Yes, and that is now a banned cartoon. It's a banned cartoon. As it walks you through the actual beliefs of the Church of Mormon as an indoctrination teaching tool for the Church of Mormon for children. And uh, I found I found it. I have the cartoon in our playlist, what they actually believe. So if you actually wanted to see the banned cartoon that the Latter-day Saints, the Church of Mormon, banned it and they don't because they don't want people to actually know what they actually believe. Uh, but someone actually got a copy, ripped it and put it on YouTube. And I actually have have that uh, that YouTube video of their cartoon saved in our playlist, what they actually believe. You can check it out. It's it's grab a bowl of popcorn because it is just something <laughs> okay all right so with that let's get going all right so grab your tea grab your coffee grab your snacks grab your bibles notepads and pens we're gonna be diving into the bible and refuting the cult let's get going here person has failed this test of a okay this is from when I was checking it, making sure it would play. All right, let's get going. Okay, this is Expedition Bibles video by Joel Kramer on refuting uh, the Church of Mormon. Where are they doing the test of a prophet? I had lived in the state of Utah for more than 15 years before moving here to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, along with many Jews, Muslims, and Christians. I also found a strong Mormon presence here. For example, this is... Okay, hold up one second. I'm sorry. Uh, that's right. I forgot to... Causing the Jerusalem campus of Brigham Young University. Yes, I want to show this bit here where it shows the Brigham Young University. 
more than 15 years before moving here to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, along with many Jews, Muslims, and Christians. I also found a strong Mormon presence here. For example, this is the Jerusalem campus of Brigham Young University. Okay, it's Brigham Young University, BYU, as it's also called, the BYU, Brigham Young University, is the Mormon University. And the Church of Mormon is very powerful, has a lot of money, a lot of support. Anyways, they built a huge university over there by Jerusalem. And apparently, according to their claims, it's based off of their design of what they believe the Temple of Solomon looked like or something like that. And with the arches and all of that and the many arches, uh, that's, there's a lot of weirdness about this. But anyways, that's the Brigham Young Mormon University. And yeah, and it's weird that there's a very powerful Mormon presence in Israel. This is Greg Gifford. I met him while he was touring the country. Greg is a generational Mormon and a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To me, the Book of Mormon is a beautiful book. I love reading the Book of Mormon. All of Christianity could be likened to an elementary education. I believe that Mormonism is kind of the high school education. We just have more information than Christians. You catch that. Right right off the bat, as the uh, what cults do, is they'll always uh, downplay and bash born-again Christianity. Basically saying, on some level, we don't have all the information we're limited, that they are the special ones, they have the lost knowledge, they have all, all of the, the truths, and that we're limited, we don't know what we're talking about, that they are the enlightened ones. They have the hidden knowledge. You know, that's basically the core tenet of Gnosticism, of the Gnostics. And they are the holders of the secret hidden knowledge. But right there, did you hear that? That regular Christians, that that that. It's like the entry-level education, but the Mormons, they're the higher educated. They're, they're like the university level. <laughs> Greg agreed to get together at my Jerusalem apartment to have a discussion about the prophecies of both Mormon and biblical prophets. We begin our conversation focused on the test of a prophet found in the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18.21 asks a question, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? Would you consider that to be an important question to ask? Oh, absolutely. And that why? So, that's the difference between a man speaking and the Lord speaking. The next verse answers this question. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Uh, also, FYI, folks, please keep this in mind. That when, uh, what this right here, this passage in Deuteronomy, 
if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. All right. You mean like the prosperity gospel prophets and apostles? Those who claim to have a word from the Lord and all this, those that promise all the, all that, that, money and power and all this kind of stuff you know like the TikTok, twitter instagram youtube so-called prophets that promise all kinds of things and it never happens or the big names like todd white and all the rest of them who make prophecies that don't come to pass the bible says that those ones are liars and false prophets what is it that would cause a prophet to fail the test of a prophet? Whatever the prophet proclaims has to take place or come true, says right there. Which makes sense, right? Because by nature, God is the only one that knows the future. You and I both don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. It's a brilliant and very logical test, isn't it? Yeah. A prophet is someone who claims God is speaking through them. So how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? The answer is the test of a prophet. Here's how it works. Since only God knows the future, people can test a prophet by how accurately he predicts the future. If even one of his predictions does not take place or come true, that prophet fails the test. And if a prophet fails, then God commands the people to put him to death and to not be afraid of him. The introduction page to the Book of Mormon reads, The book was written by many ancient prophets, by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. By the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Then we should be able to test. We should be able to take this Deuteronomy 18 simple test and apply it to Mormon prophets, correct? Correct. And we should be able to take that simple test and to be fair, we should also apply it to biblical prophets. Mm -hmm. So, Also, not just, the, not just prophets, but the test of a prophet as well can also overlay in the test of preachers preachers because as we see that uh, we're to test the spirits to see if they are of god we see the test of scripture the test of the word of god and as we take this and we line it up with everyone line up against everyone from ellen g white the founder of the 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 church uh seventh-day adventists to joseph, uh, joseph smith of mormon charles taze russell the jehovah's witnesses or the papacy of rome and anyone anyone todd white bill johnson stephen verdict uh, uh, uh paula white uh joyce myers all the rest of them uh, kenneth copeland joel osteen anyone it doesn't matter who it is it doesn't matter who they are what they are is you test them by the scriptures the test of a prophet is also used for the test of preachers those who say that they are speaking for the lord they are held then against the the uh, the scriptures as a test to see if they're true that's what the bereans did against apostle paul keep that in mind 
So are you willing to do that? Yeah, let's do it. first prophet we will test is the Book of Mormon prophet Nephi. One of his prophecies is summarized by the Mormon church under the chapter heading of 1 Nephi chapter 13. Here Nephi is predicting the loss of many plain and precious parts of the Bible, causing a need for the restoration of the gospel, the coming forth of Latter-day Scripture. So you would agree then that Christianity is, is based on the Old and the New Testament alone as scripture. And then Mormonism is saying, well, no, there's a problem with the Bible. It's been corrupted. This is the restoration of that corruption. And so these books you need to take in an account into addition to the, to the Bible. Yes. So this is what you would trust in as, as a Bible. Would, you, would it be like this? Would it be the Bible first and then Mormon scripture? Uh, well, it's been corrupted, so it's got to be this way. It's got to be that way, okay. Yeah. In the Book of Mormon, the prophet Nephi also states, Thou fool that shall say a Bible, we have got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. So do you think that as a Christian, I'm a fool for believing in the Bible alone? I, I do. Really? Did you hear that? Do you remember a message I gave a while ago, a little while ago, this past Sunday, uh, about uh, answer, answering occult's attacks against the authority of the scriptures? And I talked about the hiss of the serpent, the hiss of the devils. We hear what this guy here, what he just said. Joel Kramer asked the question, do you think that I'm a fool? For holding to the Bible alone as authority, and the man says, "Yes, I do." What what was it the devil said in the Garden of Eden? Yea, hath God truly said, and you will always see it. One of the first red flags of a cult is their attack against the authority of the Scriptures alone. The Catholic Church attacks it, Orthodox Church attacks it, the Church of Mormon attacks it, Jehovah's Witness attacks it, Seventh-day Adventists attack it. So many cults attack the authority of the Bible, and many of the modern progressive liberal Christians who say, no, oh, the Bible alone, because you know we have visions and dreams and feelings and whatever, you always hear the hiss of the devils when a person attacks the authority of the Word of God, the Bible alone. That it's that you it's not just the Bible alone. You have to have our material in addition to be able to understand it. Because it either has lost books, lost texts, lost manuscripts, or something else. The notes at the bottom of the page claim that this prophecy was given between 600 and 592 BC. At this time, the Mormon prophet Nephi prophesied that after the twelve apostles of the Lamb would come the formation of that great and abominable church. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious. 
So around 600 BC, Nephi prophesied that after the 12 apostles of Jesus, the abominable church, which refers to the early Christian church, would corrupt the Bible. So let me make sure that I get this absolutely straight. Here's the Bible that I use as a Christian. What, what chapter 13 is saying is that plain and precious portions went missing from my Bible. That's basically what our whole religion is based on, is that there's a lot of plain and, plain and precious truths that have been removed from the Bible. Because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, Satan hath great power over them. And that great pit which hath been digged for them by that great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. It, it, okay, I have to, I have to comment this. I'm sorry, folks, but this is just incredible. Yeah, okay, this is from the Mormon scriptures, the Mormon texts, from their holy prophet Nephi says, look at this, look at this. The great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his, his children. This is blasphemy of blasphemies. This is blasphemy of blasphemies. Said so that, that, that our apparently abominable church founded by the devil leads souls to hell. You see that, and there, and and what's crazy, just FYI, many so-called Christians say that the Mormons are our brothers and sisters. FYI, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen says that Mormons are our brothers and sisters in Christ. You got to study the cults, folks. You need to know what you're talking about. So is the Book of Mormon saying that because of this corruption of the Bible, those who follow this corrupted Bible uh, would end up in hell? Yes. So to test Nephi's prophecy, I talked to Greek linguist Dr. Christoph Rico because he is an expert on the reliability of the Bible. Nephi is, uh, according to Mormonism, is a, a prophet. And he is prophesying, if you, if you look at the notes here, between 600 and 592 BC. So this is a prediction of the distant future. Well, the first thing is, uh, I won't find any scholar who would take seriously uh, the, this uh, statement that uh, this prophet is from uh, the years uh, 600 and 592 before Christ. The first question I would ask, uh, or the first demand I would ask, is that they produce a single manuscript of this, uh, of this prophet. I mean, uh, there is nothing. Uh, there is not a single manuscript, either from antiquity or even from the Middle Ages, that they could produce. 
So this is a text that has been written uh, in modern times. I mean, there's, there's nothing uh, more that can be said about it. Are there any ancient copies of the Book of Mormon that would predate the time of Joseph Smith? No. Not here on earth anyway. But what happened was the gold plates were given to Joseph Smith. He copied them, he translated from them, and then the gold plates were taken back into heaven. Okay, let's talk about that one just for a moment. Um, I didn't cover that one earlier. I forgot about that, that bit. Anyways, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Church of Mormon, had a wild and incredible claim that he was out wandering the woods, wandering in, in the woods, the forest, and he was praying to God, and that, uh, that suddenly an angel appeared to him and handed him two gold tablets that these tablets each weighed multiple hundred pounds. And on these tablets are written uh, the, the records of Mormon and doctrines and the special scriptures and everything. And the devil uh, came at him to try to try to take away the tablets. So Joseph Smith, by the power of God, ran with these tablets under his arm, each weighing hundreds of pounds, ran through the woods, and he buried them in the forest to protect them and all of this. And nobody knows where the gold plates are except for Joseph Smith. And nobody's ever been able to verify this. And this is what Joel Kramer is referring to, is the wild, fantastical claim by the Church of Mormon regarding the gold plates. Yeah, and take a look at the face of this scholar who's a specialist in biblical prophets and history and stuff like this, who knows all about this stuff. Like, you can see the look at his face. Like, the Church of Mormon is nuts. Okay. Um, you know, tomorrow I can come and I say, look, I have had a revelation from heaven, and uh, this is the holy book. And all the, the, all the other stuff is, stuff is nonsense. I can do that. So uh, the, only, the only guarantor of it is me. Uh, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. So there are no ancient manuscripts to back up the prophecy of Nephi about the loss of many plain and precious parts of the Bible. In my conversation with Greg, he explained to me what the Mormon church had taught him about how this corruption of the Bible occurred. Well, it's always been my understanding that there has been one manuscript and as it faded over time, then monks would recopy it over and over and over again as the manuscript would fade, then they'd create a new one with new ink. And if they didn't like the way something read, or if they thought it was too controversial, they'd just leave it out. All right, so right there, you see, this is the fault of many people, is that when they hear about the Bible and the copying of scriptures, uh, the Catholic Church is also on record of saying that they are the ones that codified our Bibles, that they had their councils, and they figured out what the scriptures were. They are the ones that passed down the Bible and all of this, that every cult claims this. Every call claims it, but the quasi-Christian sects, uh, so-called, a uh, Catholic, Orthodox, Seventh-day Adventist, Mormon, whatever, 
uh, all uh, uh, they all look to the Catholic Church as the purveyors of the scriptures, those that handed it down. Um, monks did not pass down the scriptures. They copied their own. <laughs> they copied their own Bibles that they changed and modified to fit their church that to include their apocrypha and all their stuff they copied their books they didn't copy our bibles our scriptures that were handed down they had nothing to do with our bible the scriptures always existed outside of the catholic church and the born again christians have always had the scriptures outside of the catholic church and the catholics would tell you no and that you don't know what you're talking about but that you see what the mormon mormons are holding here joseph smith uh, as as handed down was that the Catholic Church was the one that had our Bibles and that and are the ones that protected it and copied it and that the Catholic Church corrupted our Bibles. No, they corrupted their own. They have nothing to do with ours. Isn't it the case that in antiquity, um, the way that the Bible was preserved was that there was only one copy of the Bible and that that copy faded over time and then as it faded, they would make another copy of it by copying it over, but just one copy at a time? Not at all, not at all. The situation is completely different. What you do have in antiquity is, first of all, the church start uh, spreading over uh, the Roman Empire and other parts. So uh, everywhere they need copies. So at the very beginning, you, what you need is copies, copies of the New Testament, copies of the New Testament, because... So they there made is... thousands of copies. Of course. Well, I, I understand after having been here and visited that there are literally thousands of manuscripts. People would go places and want to take their scriptures with them so they would copy down from another manuscript and whole bunches of people would do that. So there's literally thousands. We have uh, like 6,000 uh, copies uh, of uh, that, that, that go back to antiquity that are either in Hebrew for the Old Testament or in Greek for the New Testament. If we are talking about the versions, we are, we, we, the, the figure is much higher. We have 40,000 copies, so which is something am amazing. You don't have a single other book in antiquity where you have so many, uh, so many texts. So let me get this straight. The Book of Mormon has zero ancient manuscripts to back it up. Yet, it is criticizing the Bible of being unreliable, when the Bible has 40,000 ancient manuscripts to support it. If that were to happen, over and over again, that monks didn't like something, so they would take it out of the New Testament. With all that you have, with the different translations and all the fragments and all the copies that you have, would you be able to determine that that happened? Impossible. This is impossible because soon after the original writings of the New Testament, thousands of copies were made. So if a monk wanted to make a change, his change would stand out like a sore thumb. This is also true for the Old Testament, but these copies are actually older than when Nephi says the corruption of the Bible took place. So, being here in Israel, um, we can test our modern Bibles. 
with what's been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I met up with Dead Sea Scroll expert Dr. Randall Price, who is excavating at Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. So again, Nephi prophesied that the Bible would be corrupted after the Twelve Apostles of Jesus. And because the Dead Sea Scrolls are older than this predicted corruption, we can compare the Dead Sea Scrolls with our modern Bibles to see if any plain and precious portions are missing. This is Cave 1. This is where the first discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls was made. So the, the plain and precious things were, were missing, this is saying, after the Twelve Apostles and after the Scriptures went to the Gentiles. What does the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, say about that? Because that would predate yeah, that. Yeah, right? obviously this is before Jesus' uh, birth, before the birth of the church. They were hidden away, not discovered for 2,000 years after. So it gives us a chance to look at a history before any of this became controversy or any possible changes could have been introduced. And it tells us that the text remained unchanged. Okay, well, I want to just talk about just for a moment. Uh, a lot of people, when they hear about the Dead Sea Scrolls, they get this weird idea that everything that was found in the in the caves is scripture no 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 no. you see there were scrolls of scripture like for example the the scroll of isaiah was amongst some of the some of the documents that were found there as well as other books other writings now these other books other writings are not scripture also included with with those that were discovered but for example is the book of enoch you know, the Enochian book, the Book of Enoch that we've talked about before, that's not scripture. That's because these caves were around the area where the Essenes, the cult of the Essenes was. And they were a mystic subsect of the Sadducees. And they went up into the mountain to form their own camp as they were angel worshippers. They conjured angels and stuff. And they also brought with them a lot of their writings, like the Book of Enoch, which is demonic. But they also had with them some scrolls of the Bible. But also uh, what you're seeing here, folks, uh, as what's being discussed, is the preservation of the Word of God. The preservation of the Word of God. As we see, as it says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Now, all down through time, from the moment that they, 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 they had the scriptures and they copied, 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 that it's preserved by God all down through that no changes, no lost books, no lost texts, no lost manuscripts, no contradictions, preserved by God. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Psalm 12, 6-7, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation 
forever. Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And on and on and on and on. So many passages of scripture that talk about this, that God preserves his word, keeps his word, and we're seeing evidence of it right here in this video. There's nothing different between it and the translation from which our modern Bibles come. So there's nothing missing. Are these plain and precious portions missing from the New Testament? Look, when we are talking uh, about uh, the New Testament, we are talking about the best ever well-known book of antiquity. And uh, the difference between what we know about the, the New Testament and any other book from antiquity is amazing. And so if the reality is as if it is this way, but we can show with the evidence that it hasn't been corrupted, that, that we, have the, we have it preserved in our modern Bibles, then that would nullify that whole need for restoration. In a nutshell. Did that prophecy come true in history? Absolutely not. When we see, when we compare all the ancient copies of the New Testament that we have, the, the differences are very small. So you cannot even show me a text where this has been done because the difference between the different copies that we have are very, very, very tiny. They don't affect the substance of the, of, of the, of the meaning. It is like uh, saying instead of, uh, uh, how can I put it, but saying however. Uh, it is this kind of uh, small and tiny changes. You, you don't have changes that affect the substance of, of, of the meaning of, of the New Testament. So it's, uh, it's something that, uh, that uh, it's uh, utterly impossible. And right there, uh, that's one of the arguments that must be understood. Um, when we talk about the preservation of the Word of God, and the, as we see by the scriptures that I was also showing, uh, not one jot, no one tittle should always pass on the word of the law. Jot and tittle is yod and tittel, meaning the smallest marks in the Greek and the smallest marks in the Hebrew. God preserves his word in the Greek and Hebrew. And that, it's, and that these texts are handed down. Uh, these are what's preserved by God. And we translate from the Greek and Hebrew to English, French, German, Spanish, Russian, whatever. And, and we go back to the original Greek and Hebrew. That's what's preserved. All the others are copies into those languages. Now, into each of these languages, scripture copied into English may have some minor variation from English, uh, from the scriptures translated to Russian or Spanish or African or whatever. Uh, but the thing that remains the same is the context. Context. There are no contextual changes. Now, we do see some of these in modern Bible versions, like the NIV, the NASB, uh, the NLT, BLT, all these other, like the message, where they are literally changing the context. And that's what's called, uh, that, that, this is based off of what's called the minority text manuscripts, which have flaws and errors and missing bits and all this stuff. But the majority text manuscripts, which are copied uh, into uh, English, and also which based our scriptures are based on, that th these have no contextual changes. You may see, like from the original, like nobody uses the sixteen eleven King James. Nobody. 
If you actually got a 1611 King James, you could barely read it because of its uh, of over 400 year old English. What our people are using today actually is the 17 1769 the 1769 revision where they updated the language, updated English because English changes our spelling, pronunciation, words or whatever change and evolve over time. And so we see over time that the, 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 the King James we use now is a 1769 revision, not a 1611. So, but, but they updated some of the words and the language, but in updating the words and the language, it does not change the context. There are no contextual changes. That now, when you take a look at this and you go back to the original manuscripts, it's what's called an exact equivalent. An exact equivalent. All right. So, back to what is being claimed by Nephi in chapter 13. Did his prediction that the that our modern Bibles would become corrupt after the time of the twelve apostles of the Lamb did that come to pass in history? I believe that. Well, from what I've been taught as a youngster, yes, it has occurred. And what does the evidence that you find here going and looking at these ancient copies of the Bible tell you in regards to that? That it has not. They're all the same. Then what would the logical conclusion be? Well, it just shows Nephi was wrong when he said, when he made that statement. Since Nephi's prediction that the Bible would be corrupted did not take place in history, he fails the test of a prophet. We can also test the prophets in the Bible. The central theme of the prophecies made by the Old Testament prophets is in the coming of a person, known as the Messiah, someone who would come to save and eventually rule the world. The writers of the New Testament believed that Jesus Christ was this Messiah. In the New Testament, the title Christ has the same meaning as the Old Testament title Messiah. The first biblical prophet we will test is Micah. Around 700 BC, Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Amazingly, a fragment containing Micah's prophecy was discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dr. Price took me to the cave where it was found. What we know is beneath this floor, there were 15,000 fragments that were uncovered. This fragment containing Micah 5.2 dates to 100 BC, making it a century older than the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. In Matthew's Gospel, he states that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. And then he quotes Micah 5.2 to show that Jesus fulfills Micah's prophecy. So there is a link between the prophecy of Micah and then in the New Testament, it is, it is said 
that he was born in Bethlehem and that he fulfills the, uh, the, that prophecy. I went to Bethlehem for Christmas, along with crowds of people from all over the world. This is the Church of the Nativity. It's built over the traditional place of Jesus' birth. And uh, that's the thing. <laughs> You'll find tradition traditionally, traditionally, uh, much of that uh, by way of orthodoxy and Catholicism over there. Um, the Catholic Church has basically built a shrine on every single rock and shrub and tree and thing that they found claiming that this was this and that with no proof of it. But, and people flock to it and, and worship these shrines. Um, yeah, but this is claimed to be where Jesus was born. There's literally no evidence for any of that, and they say it's proven, though it's not. So be careful about Catholic and Orthodox claims of tradition. Uh, they're always based on fallacies. A site that pilgrims have been visiting for almost 2,000 years. Jewish archaeologist Dr. Gabriel Barkai has been working in Israel for more than 40 years. Listen, I'm uh, very objective. First of all, I'm an archaeologist and I'm not Christian. Where personally do you believe that Jesus was born? Under the Church of Nativity in Bethlehem, there are some caves. And uh, those uh, cavities were in use in the first century beyond any doubt. For very important places, very significant places in Christian, um, Christian faith, I would regard the traditional places as authentic. However, the Bible says Jesus was born in a stable, not a cave. And that, but the Bible actually talks about caves, mentions caves. There are words in the scriptures for caves and this is not a word that was used for where Jesus was born. Jesus was born in a stable, not a cave. But Mike is not the only prophet who predicted where the Messiah would be born. In the Book of Mormon, the prophet Alma prophesied, And behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem. You can turn to Alma chapter 7, verse 10. Oh, this is that scripture. <laughs> Book of Mormon is saying that Jesus is born in Jerusalem. Micah is in the Bible is saying that the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. <laughs> uh, it's just like uh, 
like when I, I did the, a previous video, a reaction from Apostate Prophets channel, where Muhammad is actually on record of saying in writing in the Quran that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll see this, uh, that, that uh, the cults will always have glaring errors, glaring errors amidst all of their other, uh, other errors. But, and this is just one that really goes to show it. Um, Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. <laughs> he even knows it. He's like, oh, that scripture. He even knows it. Can they both be right? No. Mormon scholars try to argue that since Bethlehem is so close to Jerusalem, they can be considered the same place. Was Bethlehem part of the land of the Bible? Well. Even today, if you go to Bethlehem, you realize it's essentially a suburb. Bethlehem is how far away from Jerusalem? About six miles? Of course it's going to be in the land of Jerusalem. Is this for sure a mistake because Mormon scholars say, well, Bethlehem is close to Jerusalem, so they can be the same. But the historical geographers, in fact, I interviewed a historical geographer and I didn't tell him what the issue was. I just. I just started trying to convince him that Bethlehem and Jerusalem are so close to each other that they, sh they could be considered the same thing. And he treated me like I didn't know what I was talking about and corrected me. Have you ever heard of uh, Bethlehem being um, described as the land of Jerusalem? It's not the land of Jerusalem. Bethlehem is a city six miles south of Jerusalem. Could you, is there any way that you could say that Bethlehem is uh, it's so close to Jerusalem that you could just call it Jerusalem? No. And there's, there's cities in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Because Jesus was born in Jerusalem, right? No, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So, historically, have, have you been to Bethlehem? Which one do you think is right historically? Historically, it's Bethlehem. This causes me great angst. I'm, I'd like to say that Alma is a human, <laughs> that he makes mistakes, but Deuteronomy says that you, in that context, you cannot make mistakes. So I, I, it's hard for me to declare that Alma, well, he obviously made a mistake. So is there any other way to look at that but that that's a mistake? No. So do you think there's any other way to look at this but that this is a mistake? <sighs> that it's just a mistake. I, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's. How could you make this mistake? See, folks, this herein we see the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God is you don't have to prove Scripture. You don't have to fight for Scripture to prove Scripture. It proves itself. 
like uh, 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 the great preacher Charles Spurgeon says, the scriptures are like a caged lion. You let it out, it defends itself. It, as we talked about yesterday, it's a fire and a sword and a war hammer. It fights for itself. It proves itself. Then all you got to do is just keep quoting scripture. Keep quoting scripture. It proves itself. And so in doing this, you plant seeds of doubt in the minds of the people in other religions, other belief systems, by quoting the Word of God and showing them what the truth is, what the Word of God actually says, and and it, it reveals it to their mind. The Spirit of God convicts them and shows them, like you see on this guy, like you see this guy, like the look on his face. Look at him. Look at his face. He, he's, he's being faced with the fact that he's wrong. The, the, the so-called holy prophets... We're wrong. But if you're a prophet, you can't be wrong. So what does that say to you about your belief system? And all Joel Kramer's doing is quoting the word of God. And you, you're seeing right here the power of the word of God. It's, uh... but, but think about it back in our test for a prophet. Is God trying to trick us or does he want us to be protected? He wants us to be protected. So he gives us a simple test, right? Not a complex one. That's and, right. And and isn't it isn't it something that that we should test? And 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 if it fails, isn't it for our protection? It is for our protection. The New Testament declares that Micah's prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Since Jesus was not born in Jerusalem, Alma fails the test of a prophet. Next, Greg and I tested the biblical prophet, Isaiah. Around 700 BC, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah made several prophecies about the coming Messiah. One of the most significant was the prediction that the Messiah would come from the ancestry of King David. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it, one from the house of David. The oldest copy of this prophecy dates to 125 BC and is preserved in what's known as the Great Isaiah Scroll. It was time for Greg and I to make the climb up to cave number one, where the Great Isaiah Scroll was discovered. But this is literally right here is where they found an entire scroll of Isaiah that dates to 125 BC. Wow. I got to see the actual great Isaiah scroll because it was on display to the public for three months last year for the 60th anniversary. They brought it out and displayed it. discovery like this is do you have anything like this in Mormonism for the Book of Mormon or any Mormon scripture? Not that I know of.
Isaiah says that the Messiah will come from the house of David. Do we know that the house of David is real? So the house of David, uh, which is first mentioned in the Bible, but is also mentioned extra-biblical sources, such as the Tel Dan inscription. This is one of two inscriptions that have been found dating to the 9th century BC that specifically mention the historical house of David. The house of David is the family out of which the Messiah is supposed to come. So we have two ancient inscriptions that mention the house of David specifically? Yes, both of them 9th century BC. And then, and then was Jesus from the house of David? That is the tradition which we have in the, uh, in the uh, New Testament. Son of David, what does it mean? He's giving to Jesus a messianic title, Son of David. There is also additional evidence outside of the Bible that Jesus is from the ancestry of King David. Eusebius, an ancient source, reports what happened to the descendants of Jesus' brother Jude at the end of the first century AD. The descendants of Jude were related to Christ himself and they were brought to the emperor, and he asked them if they were descendants of David, and they confessed that they were. So there are lots of sources, lots and lots of sources. Uh, you have the uh, writings of Josephus, uh, first-hand accounts going all the way back. You have the writings of Tacitus and tons of others. You have all kinds of other uh, stelas and, all, and and uh, tablets and records and papers all proving all of these things but also let alone the fact that that the bible alone is sufficient you take a look at joseph uh the uh, of joseph and mary joseph was of the direct line of david of the direct line of david now jesus born of mary by the power of god uh, she bypassed a man, as Jeremiah uh, talks about how, how uh, the virgin will compass a man, bypass a man. They're talking about the virgin birth. But Jesus was then the adopted son of Joseph. In culture and law and all this, how it works is as Mary and Joseph got married, Joseph adopts Jesus as the eldest son. So therefore, is, uh, it becomes his son by law and all this and is therefore of, of this line. So Jesus, because as Joseph died, Joseph died, that uh, he was the rightful king of Israel then by direct line and lineage of David. When Joseph dies, the throne actually goes to Jesus. And Jesus is the actual, by law, rightful crowned ruling king of Israel by this. We also see, though, that after, uh, after Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary got married, had other children who actually of the line of David as well. So we see this here being backed up by Scripture. This uh, fact is uh, very telling for us because it shows that the family of Jesus 
was the family of the heirs of King David. So Jesus was the heir of King David. So when in the, mm. at, the, at the cross you have a, a, a title which is uh, nailed uh, uh, under the cross or uh, upon the cross, we don't know where it was written, Jesus uh, from Nazareth, King of the Jews, this has a very serious meaning. Hmm. He's the son of David. So there is both biblical and extra-biblical evidence that Jesus fulfills Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah would come from the house of David. Then Greg and I went from a prophecy about King David to a prophecy that King David himself gave. King David's prophecies about the coming Messiah are in the book of Psalms including one that predicts details about the Messiah's death. They have pierced my hands and my feet. A fragment containing this prophecy was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have found a fragment of that psalm beside the Dead Sea uh, that uh, reads or translates, they have pierced, pierced my hands and my feet. An obvious form of execution that pierced the hands and feet of the victim was Roman crucifixion. There is strong evidence that the Romans crucified their prisoners by nailing them, hands and feet, to crosses. Do we have any archaeological evidence that people were crucified by being nailed to crosses? Yes, there was found a bone box, an ashuri, and inside it there were found the bones of one individual he ended his uh, life upon the cross. His heel bones were found with the nails still inside them. It proves beyond any doubt the practice of crucifixion. There's also literary evidence outside of the Bible that people were nailed to crosses. The first century historian Josephus wrote as an eyewitness that the Roman soldiers amused themselves by nailing their prisoners in different postures, and so great was their number that space could not be found for the crosses, nor crosses for the bodies. Incredibly, Josephus also wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus. Now there was about this time Jesus, and Pilate had condemned him to the cross. I joined the crowds in the streets of Jerusalem on Good Friday as they commemorated the crucifixion of Jesus, an event that took place almost 2,000 years ago. In the New Testament, the eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion wrote about the nail marks in his hands. The Greek word that, is, uh, that, that appears there is precisely uh, nail. So uh, Jesus was really nailed. Uh, and, uh, and also you have uh, in the book of Acts, it is uh, clearly said, and the word uh, that you have in Greek uh, clearly says that uh, Jesus was nailed. 
So uh, you see, Jesus was nailed to the cross and this uh, fulfills that prophecy of Psalm uh, 22 where it is said that they have pierced my hands and my feet. David's prophecy that the Messiah would die by having his hands and feet pierced is preserved in a Dead Sea Scroll fragment that is over a hundred years older than when Jesus was nailed to a cross through his hands and his feet. Next, Greg and I tested the biblical prophet Daniel. The Old Testament prophets not only give us detailed information about how the Messiah would die, but the prophet Daniel even predicts when. Daniel predicted that the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Cut off is an Old Testament term meaning killed. The city referred to here is Jerusalem, and its sanctuary is the temple. So in about 538 BC, Daniel predicted a significant sequence of events. He predicted first that the Messiah would be killed and then the temple in Jerusalem destroyed. We know in history that from Daniel until today, the only time that the temple was destroyed was in 70 AD. So in order for Daniel's prophecy to be fulfilled, the Messiah would have to be killed before 70 AD. And if you want to have more information regarding this exact event, you take a look at the writings of Josephus. Uh, the scribe Josephus was actually there. He was there at the uh, sacking of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD. He was an eyewitness account and he wrote all about it. And uh, his writings are, are uh, copied and preserved uh, to this day. You can get uh, copies of uh, the writings of Josephus and you can read about all this stuff. It's, it's incredible. So. Just wanted to throw that out there if you want to know more about this event. This is precisely when Jesus was crucified. After Jesus was crucified, is it true that Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed? Crucifixion took place in Jerusalem around the year 33 of the Common Era. In the year 70 of the Common Era, the temple got burned down by the soldiers of Titus. Titus and his army, his engineering forces, intentionally ruined the entire city of Jerusalem as well as uh, the uh, focal point of Jerusalem, that's the Temple Mount. There's no question, right, that the, that the writings of Daniel, including that particular prophecy, predate the 70 AD destruction? That's for sure, that's for sure. So, the city of Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed after the Messiah is cut off. And that's what happened. So just as Daniel predicted, Jesus was killed just before the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed. After his death, Jesus was taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb like this one.
This tomb is 2,000 years old, dating back to the time of Jesus. Today, the tomb of Jesus is protected beneath this mass of construction. Well, buried beneath uh, this mass of uh, construction here uh, is the tomb of uh, Jesus. There is a very, very ancient tradition about uh, the, the location of the tomb and uh, the place of crucifixion, which is in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is Dr. Shimon Gibson. He is a secular archaeologist who has personally excavated here in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. If I weigh up all this evidence that I have, the archaeological historical evidence, this has to be the tomb of uh, Jesus. And it's nothing, uh, I'm not swayed by any kind of sort of uh, religious uh, belief here. It's based on archaeological historical evidence, this has to be the tomb of Jesus. And I just want to just throw out there, it, you know, even if, even if it actually is, that doesn't mean anything um that 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 the and uh, having the actual physical empty tomb that that does nothing in a spiritual sense and that like the, the catholic and the orthodox they believe that such things have power and our specialness and their mystical things and the shrines and their icons and their artifacts and all these things but the scriptures are sufficient having the actual physical things is great like they actually have that that you they found the ruins of noah's ark in mount sinai that's awesome and all kinds of all these other archaeological discoveries that prove the bible true but you don't need them you don't have to have them it's great that they do exist but in the grand scheme they don't add or subtract from the scriptures is the scriptures are what is important blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe finally i showed greg another prophecy by king david David not only prophesied about how the Messiah would die, but he goes on to predict that he would not stay in the grave, but would again know the path of life. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. The disciples believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of David's prophecy. Because his body did not decay in the grave, he had risen from the dead. On the third day after Jesus' burial, some of his women followers found his tomb empty. On the, the, the Sunday, uh, following the execution which took place on, on the Friday, uh, the women come uh, to the tomb expecting to see the body of uh, Jesus inside, and they find nothing. It's an empty tomb. I talked with Dr. William Lane Craig, the author of the groundbreaking book, 
Assessing the New Testament evidence for the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. We have very, very strong literary evidence for the empty tomb, namely the evidence found in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. In the Gospels, an angel at the empty tomb tells the women, He is not here. He is risen. The original explanation that the disciples themselves, the eyewitnesses, gave was God raised Jesus from the dead. That was the message they proclaimed in Jerusalem and were willing to die for. There is no doubt that the apostles saw Jesus' resurrection as a direct fulfillment of David's prophecy. In fact, the apostle Peter quotes David's prophecy in his sermon and preaches that David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. The contrast was very clear. Whereas David's tomb was there, identifiable, the tomb of Jesus was empty, his body was not to be found, God had raised him up. And so in the sermons of the Acts of the Apostles, we have independent evidence for the empty tomb of Jesus in these apostolic sermons. But the literary evidence even goes beyond the New Testament. Again, the first century historian Josephus, even though he is not a follower of Jesus, still writes of his resurrection. Those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold. We have multiple independent early witnesses to the facts of Jesus' empty tomb, post-mortem appearances, and the origin of the disciples' belief in his resurrection. And it's on that basis that the majority of New Testament historians have come to believe that these are, uh, in fact, uh, historical pay dirt and belong to the portrait of the historical Jesus that we can reconstruct. When I weigh the historical evidence pertinent to the resurrection of Jesus and the various competing hypotheses to explain this evidence, then I'm convinced objectively and honestly that the best explanation of this evidence is the hypothesis that the original eyewitnesses gave, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And for that reason, I think that this was a historical event. Even today, pilgrims return to the site of Jesus' tomb to celebrate his resurrection, just as they have been doing for almost 2,000 years. Once a year, pilgrims from all over the world pack into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. A fire is then lit from within his tomb and is spread from candle to candle through the church, then throughout Jerusalem, and then to the ends of the earth. I just need to mention <laughs> this uh, event here, the lighting of the candles. Now, according to the Orthodox and them, uh, the priests and stuff, they say that God, uh, that they're in there and they're worshiping the Lord and have the candle and God lights the flame on the candle. 
and that the the priests rejoice and they go out and they spread the flame to all the other pilgrims that that god lit the candle in the tomb as a proof of this um that's a lie that's nothing but an actual lie by by them uh, because actually someone actually snuck in a camera and actually has video evidence i have seen the video in this the holy sepulcher that the high orthodox priest in there has a lighter he has a lighter and he's lighting the candle it's all a lie it's all a lie again because or the orthodox church is a cult not christian According to the New Testament, Jesus' resurrection clearly fulfilled David's prophecy. In this world, there are over six billion people alive today. But if you want to send a letter to just one person out of those six billion, how much information do you have to put on a letter to do that? Not much. Surprisingly small amount. A few lines of information on a letter can pinpoint one person in the world. In the same way, the details given to us by David, Isaiah, Micah, and Daniel can identify one person out of all the people that have ever lived. Who else in the scope of history was born in Bethlehem from the house of David, pierced hands and feet, killed before the temple was destroyed, and whose tomb was found empty? This is, this is God speaking to us. He really did tell us before he sent his son Jesus. He really did tell us what his plan was before it happened. After applying the Deuteronomy 18 test of a prophet to both Bible and Book of Mormon prophets, it becomes clear that the biblical prophets accurately predicted the future, while the Mormon prophets failed. The biblical prophets are surrounded by an abundance of historical evidence, while there's no evidence at all for any of the Book of Mormon prophets. In fact, none of them appear in any written source until the Book of Mormon was published in 1830. These Book of Mormon prophets prophesied of Joseph Smith, the Latter-day Seer, and that the Book of Mormon shall come forth. It shall come to pass that the Lord God shall bring forth unto you the words of a book. The book shall be delivered unto a man, and he shall deliver the words of the book. Since there are no ancient texts that contain these prophecies, we're simply left with the fact that in 1830, Joseph Smith published the Book of Mormon that prophesied that Joseph Smith would publish the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and yeah, that's what it is. You see, is the 
the self-righteous, arrogant cult leader making up all this stuff. Well, not so much as making it up, but that it was made up out of the mind of a fallen angel. He conjured a demon named Moroni that taught him these things and told him to write down all this stuff. Joseph Smith uh, listened to devils, copied down the words of devils, to try to justify himself making up prophecies, so-called ancient prophecies, about himself to justify himself. Pride. Arrogance. Lying. And then you see all, all of the horrible, disgusting debauchery that he was all about, and the blasphemy and the heresy. This is why non-Mormon scholars conclude that the Book of Mormon prophets were created through the imagination of Joseph Smith himself. The only thing that you have is something that has been printed in the 19th century. It has been written by someone in the 19th century and given to print. Okay, uh, I can do the same if you want. You can do the same. You can take you can write, I, Joel, I say that I uh, now I am uh, the true prophet and uh, the Bible has been corrupted and all the Bible uh, of uh, the Christians is nonsense. And this is the true Bible. And yet, what, what can we say? Who is the witness of that? Who is the, who is the, who is the guarantor, guarantor of what you are saying? Only you, yourself. But Joseph Smith took it a step further by inserting these prophecies about himself and the Book of Mormon into the Bible. Joseph Smith claimed the Bible was not translated correctly, so he did his own translation of the Bible. In it, he inserted prophecies about himself and the coming of the Book of Mormon. This is the new translation of the Bible by Joseph Smith of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is the new translation of the Bible by Joseph Smith of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes. Um, have you ever heard of this? It's the new translation of the Bible by Joseph Smith of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Hmm. Joseph Smith's translation is also known as the inspired version. On each page, the column on the left contains the text of Joseph Smith's inspired version, while the column on the right contains the text of the Bible. Throughout Smith's translation, there are multiple pages of additional text that are not found in the Bible. You can see where Joseph Smith's translation goes on and on. Look at these sections in here, I mean, of, of text that, look at that. I mean, we're, we're talking some major some stuff. Some major addition. What's being said here is this is the plain and precious portions that have been lost from the Bible, and this is it being restored by Joseph Smith. And he's talking about corruption of the Bible. Here's Isaiah chapter 29. So we're not talking about a letter here of difference. We're not talking about a few words. We're talking some, some major differences in how much text is in Joseph Smith's Isaiah 
and our modern Bibles. And if we actually uh, take a look at what the Bible says about this kind of thing, Revelation chapter 22. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. God has a curse, a curse upon anyone who would add or subtract from the scriptures. And what is, like I've been saying, what is the first big red flag of a cult? Additional information, either additional scriptures or whatever, that, that you cannot just have this by itself. You have to have something else to tell you what it says. That's what the cults do. Because what is the first attack of the enemy that the devils do? They attack the veracity of the word of God. Yea, hath God truly said. The first sin of Satan was to question the veracity of the words of the Lord God. And that is what the cults do. They always attack the veracity of the scriptures. That, that reading it is not sufficient. You can't just have it. You have to have all of our books, our information, our, our so-called scriptures. They have to change it, add it, subtract it. That's what the cults always do. Cults always attack sola scriptura. So are you curious what is in this text? Absolutely. Joseph Smith inserted these prophecies about the coming of the Book of Mormon and himself into his translation of Isaiah. It shall come to pass that the Lord God shall bring forth unto you the words of a book. Smith's Isaiah says the same thing. It shall come to pass that the Lord God shall bring forth unto you the words of a book. The book shall be delivered unto a man, and he shall deliver the words of the book. The book shall be delivered unto a man, and he shall deliver the words of the book. But the book shall be delivered unto a man. That sounds familiar. And who, what man do you think that's talking about, prophesying about? Uh, Joseph Smith. But the book shall be delivered unto a man. Um, and he shall deliver the words of the book. He, he, what he's doing is he's adding prophecies about himself yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Book of Mormon into Isaiah. Three witnesses shall behold it by the power of God, and they shall testify to the truth of the book. Three witnesses shall behold it by the power of God, and they shall testify to the truth of the book. Three witnesses shall behold it by the power of God. Okay, so is that the same verse as we find over here? Yes, it is. Logically, what, what is your, what do you think when we compare the Isaiah scroll to Joseph Smith's Isaiah? Do you think that this information about the coming of the Book of Mormon through Joseph Smith and the three witnesses is in it? I'm afraid to say I doubt it. All we need to do to test Joseph Smith's translation of Isaiah is compare it to the great Isaiah scroll. That was some of the early attempts of Mormon scholars to see if the great Isaiah scroll supported a text that Smith had. 
the fact is it doesn't support uh, his translation. And I think for the most part, Mormon scholars have moved away from trying to make that case. Does it, is this an add-on? Yeah. So what does that say about what Joseph Smith did to Isaiah? Well, it sounds like it came from an ordinary man rather than God. And so, So uh, it is not a, a new translation, it is a rewriting of, uh, of, uh, of the Bible. He's rewriting the Bible. A key verse that Joseph Smith rewrote is John 1.1 that refers to Jesus as the Word. In the Bible, John 1.1 reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But Smith's version reads, In the beginning was the Gospel preached through the Son, and the Gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. By changing was God to was of God, Smith stripped Jesus of his deity. And this is one of the biggest things as we see with the cults, is they always attack the person of Jesus Christ. You will see that in all of it. Seventh-day Adventists, Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Jehovah's Witnesses, he's Michael the Archangel. Mormons, he's not God, he's one of the gods born out of debauchery and the brother of Satan. You see, in Catholicism, they reduce his power and sovereignty where he needs his mother and he can't save you and his mother does all the work and all this. Though they claim him to be God in Catholicism, they reduce his ability. And we see all down through in so many. In Islam, he's just some prophet. Buddhism, he's just some man. Hinduism, he's one of the many gods. They always attack the person of, of the Lord and reduce his power, reduce his person, reduce his ability. They always do this. That's what devils do, folks. Doctrines of devils. They always attack the authority of Scripture, the person of Christ. The Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. N not a single scholar could tell you that this is an accurate translation of the Gospel of John. The most ancient copy of the Gospel of John that we have goes back to the year 150, more or less. That is a papyrus, which is called Papyrus 66. We are very sure about the text that we have. This earliest copy we have of John 1.1 is only about 50 years older than when John originally wrote that Jesus was God. As one who personally knew Jesus, John is a more trustworthy witness of who he was, rather than Joseph Smith, who rewrote John's testimony roughly 1,700 years later. And isn't it true that if people take this left side and what Joseph Smith is saying, uh, and if they are persuaded by it to follow that, wouldn't, wouldn't, they, wouldn't truth be corrupted and wouldn't they be led astray? Uh... I mean, they will be reading Joseph Smith, not the Gospel. When you read John 1.1 in the Joseph Smith version and John 1.1 in the Bible, are those two different Jesuses? 
Oh yes, completely, completely. We are talking about something completely different in each case. You can believe in the Jesus, uh, Joseph Smith's Jesus of John 1.1 or you can believe in the John 1.1 of the New Testament, but you can't believe in both, can you? No, you can't. Joseph Smith also changed Romans 4.16. Here the Apostle Paul declares how men are saved when he writes, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. But Smith's version reads, Therefore ye are justified of faith and works through grace. That is another red flag you will see in nearly every single other belief system of the entire world every single other belief system in the entire world is a works based system you have to do something to earn your salvation maintain to keep your salvation atone for your own sin that on some level some form somehow that, that your salvation is hinged upon you doing, keeping, maintaining, atoning, or whatever. That, that it's by works. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the scriptures alone, handed down by Christ, the, the Lord God himself, that passed down through the mouths of his, his, his apostles, he preserves his word, and we see it's by grace alone. By grace through faith alone. Cults, the red flag of the cult, is that they will hinge some deed, action, maintenance of something upon yourself to earn your salvation. Salvation by works is the salvation of hell. Joseph Smith added, and works, to Paul's gospel of which he warned, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. You are justified of faith and works. So he added and works. Yeah. So that the, 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 the word works is not there. He added and works. He did. And would you say that that gospel that that includes the works is the gospel message that that represents Mormonism? Yes. Another revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet was that these works even enable men to become gods. It's my belief that God was uh, like me at one point in time. Do you believe men can become gods? That's what I've been taught. The Apostle Paul preached that by grace God became a man to save men from their sins. In contrast, Joseph Smith preached that by their works, men can become gods. What is the other red flag? You always see this, you will always see this in the cults that in some level uh, that you can become a god. You see it a lot in um, in the prosperity gospel and much of the charismatic movement uh, joyce myers kenneth copeland and many of these others teach that you can become gods you see this in hinduism you see this in buddhism you can attain a level of godship um in mormonism you become a god uh, that but what was it that lucifer said in the garden of eden what was it that that satan said to eve ye can be as gods
interestingly enough, Paul says that anyone who changes the gospel that he preaches is to be eternally condemned. It's Mormonism that's saying corrupting the Bible is a serious, serious problem, right? Correct. But doesn't the evidence show that Joseph Smith is the one that corrupted the Bible? If we're being criticized because we took the plain and precious portions out of the Bible and therefore we're, Satan's got power over us as, as the Book of Mormon says, and that we're being led to hell. If the evidence shows that actually the reverse of that is true and Joseph Smith is the one that changed the Bible, then wouldn't it be his followers and, and the church that he's associated with that are in serious eternal trouble? Hmm. Boy, that's scary. The evidence clearly shows that it is Joseph Smith who corrupted the Bible. In addition to this, Joseph Smith made his own predictions about the future, so he too can be tested. Recorded in Mormon scripture is a revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet that was given in 1832, that a temple shall be built in Missouri. Joseph Smith predicted that the temple shall be reared in this generation, for verily this generation shall not all pass away until a house shall be built unto the Lord. Just over a year later, the Mormons were forced to leave the area and eventually the entire state of Missouri, where the temple was prophesied to be built. The Lord will always vindicate himself. The Lord will always prove the, the ragings of the godless lunatics uh, to be false. He will always do this. As it says, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth gather themselves together against the Lord, against the Lord's anointed. But, but he who sits in the heavens shall laugh, and he shall cause them to be in derision. He will cause them to be in, in confusion. He will, he will completely fight against them, that their workings, their deeds, and what they want will come to nothing, come to no fruition. And, that, and the Lord worked it out so that this prophecy by Joseph Smith would fall flat. Watch this. 38 years after the prophecy was given, as Joseph Smith's generation was coming to a close, the Mormon apostle Orson Pratt had not yet given up hope in his prophet when he preached. The Latter-day Saints just as much expect to receive a fulfillment of that promise during the generation that was in existence in 1832 as they expect that the sun will rise and set tomorrow. Why? Because God cannot lie. He will fulfill all his promises. As a follower of Joseph Smith, Paul Trask moved his family to Independence, Missouri, but he lost faith in Joseph Smith as a prophet through failed prophecies like this one. 
Joseph Smith uh, prophesied in the Doctrine and Covenants that the temple here in Independence would be built in this generation um, as a sign uh, to the people, uh, which prophecy never came to pass. We could go and take a look at the temple lot today and see that it's a completely bare piece of ground with nothing but grass growing on it. And uh, we're certainly very far removed from the 1830s when that prophecy was given. So certainly this is, uh, has to go uh, be counted uh, as one of many uh, failed prophecies by Joseph Smith. Do you know of any prophecies that Joseph Smith himself gave that failed? Yeah, I do. Jesus also prophesied about the temple that stood in Jerusalem in his day. His disciples remarked about the massive stones and magnificent buildings that were on top of the Temple Mount. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus is specifically predicting about the buildings, that they would be so thoroughly demolished that not one stone would remain on top of another. Not only this, but all these stones would be thrown down off the Temple Mount platform. Is there any archaeological evidence for the prophecy of Jesus and the destruction of the temple that there wouldn't be one stone on top of another. This is the evidence. This is, this the, evidence. is the evidence. Look at it. Uh, <laughs> it speaks for itself. There yeah. is, there is uh, evidence in front of our eyes to the prophecy that came through. Jesus talks about the stones being cast down and what he's talking about is they would be cast down from the destruction of the buildings off of the platform onto the ground here. Here you have it. And when they were cast down and it struck this, uh, this road that we're sitting on, this street, what would have Just been look the impact? At it. If you look at it, there are certain places like here and over there uh, where there are depressions. Uh, this is from the pressure enormous pressure of these uh, gigantic stone blocks, each of them several tons in weight. Now the ninth of Av, or Tisha B'Av in Hebrew, uh, is uh, traditionally thought to be the date of the destruction of the temple. And on that day, uh, laments are said for the uh, destruction of Jerusalem and on the eve and the morning of that day, uh, they read the Book of Lamentations. And you may see even people sitting and crying. This is an event which took place uh, almost 2,000 years ago, and they still feel it as if it was yesterday.
looking at the stones, I can hear the voice of the, the sound of the stones collapsing and breaking the uh, slabs of the street. I can hear the people around shouting. I can hear uh, the, uh, the hussing of the flames uh, around. So uh, with a little bit of imagination, those uh, stones can become uh, even more talkative than they are. You know, it, it absolutely breaks my heart to, when I come across this section. Is hearing the people lament and cry and cry and cry over a building. Over the building. And they're crying out and screaming out the scriptures, but they refuse to listen to them. For if they had known what the scriptures are saying, they'd be rejoicing over the God of the temple, not the stones of a building. They, they uh, crying over the building, they don't understand that their Messiah came. He was there. He stood there by the temple, in the temple, telling them who he was, and they didn't listen. They wouldn't listen. And they had all the scriptures before them, and they didn't understand it. They care more about the stones of a building, i.e., they care more about their traditions than they do the actual content of the scriptures they say they follow. And that is the other red flag of a cult. When they care so much about the traditions and their denominational distinctives, that they then allow the traditions and distinctives to control their actual doctrinal belief. Just as Jesus said, you teach for doctrines the traditions of men. And when you do that, it blinds you against the true Christ. It blinds you against the truth. Not a single building of Jerusalem was left and not a stone upon the stone of the temple remain. <laughs> Jesus' prophecy that the Jewish temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed took place in history while Joseph Smith's prediction that the Mormon temple would be built in Missouri did not. So Joseph Smith fails the test of a prophet. Is there any way to look at this other than that he fails the test of Deuteronomy 18? When you apply the scripture verbatim, then it, does, it paints, a, paints a sorry picture of Joseph. So what does Deuteronomy say your responsibility is? Because it, it's, not, it's not written to, it's written to, uh, to the one who's reading it, obviously. And there's, there's a responsibility to the, if, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. And it says what you're to do with that person, you must be put to death. Oh. And, and what, that, what, what is that responsibility that God is giving in response to the prophet 
that's found a false prophet, who's got the responsibility to put that prophet to death? Well, the people... God's not going to strike him dead. Yeah, it's to the people who have come to realize uh, this person has failed this test of a prophet. Right. Therefore, it's the people's responsibility to put him to death, right? And so in context to Joseph Smith, we remember that death means separation. So what it means from a spiritual standpoint, a biblical standpoint, to put Joseph Smith to death is to separate ourselves from him and his writings and his church. And that responsibility God has given to the one who sees that he fails the test. So you're saying that he's failed the test, but you don't want to put him to death. I don't know what to believe anymore. Sometimes I'm, I totally see what you're talking about and it's. I have no fear of Joseph Smith whatsoever. Because again, Deuteronomy 18 says, if a prophet fails a test, do not be afraid of him. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of Joseph Smith. I'm not afraid of being condemned to hell because I don't believe that he is a true prophet because he fails the test of a prophet. And therefore I can walk in freedom without having to fear what the Book of Mormon says about me, what it says about the Bible that I believe in and so on and so forth. This is what I believe. I believe in this alone and I don't believe that it's foolish to do so. Um, this I have a problem with because, because there's so many contradictions between this and this that to believe in all of that logically doesn't work. Then you have to, honestly, you have to add this to the mix too because that's a work of Joseph Smith. This is a work of Joseph Smith. Now you've got a new translation. How can, that's just a confusing mess. And there's John 1.1 1, 1 isn't the same as John 1.1 1, 1 in here. And Romans 4.16 isn't the same as Romans 4.16 in here. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah isn't the same. And the Torah isn't the same. And then you have this reflected more in this. I just, it's hard for me to grasp how logically you can believe in that whole ball of wax without having what's called cognitive dissonance, which is these contradictory beliefs that that cause great confusion. Yeah. For me to answer your question, it's going to take a lot of study. And I have to come to grips in my own mind as to, I can't just take your word for it. I have to study Absolutely. it out for myself. Absolutely. And let me just end by saying this. If it's simple, Logically, I think it has to be because I, I don't believe that God says, he says, you know, to understand his truth, that we got to be more like children, not more like scholars. Yeah. So bottom line, it's got to be simple. I think he makes it simple for our protection. I think Deuteronomy 18, test of a prophet, is simple for a reason by God's design. It is. And when you apply Deuteronomy 18, that simple test to Joseph Smith, 
and you put him to death, this is what happens. And I believe that that is where peace is. <laughs> and where the confusion ceases to, you know, to manipulate into, and to where you can go, okay, now the confusion's gone. Now I can go into what, what the Bible says about what the problem is and what the solution is and how Jesus is that solution, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and really begin to be free. Greg remains a member of the LDS Church. He made a commitment with me that he would thoroughly study these things out for himself. And I am convinced that anyone who is willing to do the same will fulfill the promise that Jesus made almost 2,000 years ago. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To learn more about evidence for the Bible, you can order a copy of my heavily illustrated book, Where God Came Down, which has been a number one bestseller in archaeology. Just click the link in the description below this video. So there you go, folks. Powerful video, powerful example, and it's so beautifully done. The way he does is so beautifully done. Uh, that, that gentleness, the way he came across, he just showed facts on facts on facts and just using the word of God that the scriptures speak for themselves. The scriptures speak for themselves. Uh, just using the word of God, you cut through all the chaos, all the noise, and, it, and God proves himself. All those who come to me shall find me, the Lord says. And we see this in this. Uh, the guy, it... it destroyed the lies of the devils consuming his mind and he saw it he saw it you heard him say i don't know what to believe anymore because he's left in that state where he has nothing more to to, to rest on that all the stuff he used to know it all fell apart and that's what the word of god does we talked about it how the scriptures are a fire it consumes that which is against the Lord and purifies that which is of the Lord. It is a sword that cuts to the heart and cuts to the mind. It cut, cuts through all things and it's a hammer. And what do you use a hammer for? To build up or to destroy, tear down? And we use the word of God to destroy, uh, uh, with, with the hammer of God, destroy the false temples and the false images of the pagans, the heathens, the, the godless religions. And we use it as a hammer to build, uh, to build the church of our Lord. You build the construct, the foundation on the word of God. You tear everything else down. Uh, no other catechisms, commentaries, creeds, councils, whatever, traditions, whatever. It's all irrelevant. Throw it out the door, out the window. You don't need it. It's irrelevant. This. 
the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible alone, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, by belief alone, and the Word of God alone. That's all we need. Amen? So I hope that this uh, video has been a help and uh, um, edifying and uh, educational for you. You learned something from this. And again, like I said, uh, in the description, in the description below, you will find a link to uh, Joel Kramer's YouTube channel, um, Expedition Bible. Please subscribe to his channel. Please check out his material, his other videos. He's got tons of other uh, uh, videos of his discoveries, all these things. Great, great, fantastic stuff. Please make sure you check out his channel and as well as his book, as he's talking about uh, where God came down. Um, please check that out as well. Um, uh, give that some research and look look that up. If you feel so led, please uh, check it out. Uh, it's got some great stuff in there. So, so yeah, there you go. Um, that's what I had for today. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all before we wrap this up. Now, like he says, as far as I know, that Greg fella is still in the Mormon church, but he's searching. So pray for Greg. Pray that the Lord would truly reach out to him, would show him the truth, and he would he would recant Mormonism. He'd repent of his sins and believe the gospel. Please pray for him. So that the next video that we would see from uh, Expedition Bible would be uh, Greg's testimony. That would be awesome. I would love to see that. I would happily do a video on that and listening to the testimony of Greg. So be praying for him. Um, if there's anything else, any other comments, questions, issues, insights, please go ahead and ask away. Um, what we can take away from this is what we've seen through the week, especially of yesterday and today. All the way back to the uh, last Sunday, the uh, message I gave at church, all about the authority of the Word of God, the authority of Scripture, that the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God alone defends itself, proves itself again and again, and the red flags of the cults, the cult mind, the cults attack the, the veracity of the Word of God. That makes you question the scriptures, makes you believe that it's full of contradictions and errors, that it's insufficient, that you can't just have it alone. The devil always attacks the word of God, always attacks the person of Christ, always attacks the way of salvation. These three red flags, the authority of scripture, the person of Christ, and the way of salvation are always attacked. And so in, in your study of world religions, talking to other people, and your questioning of other sources and authorities, pay attention to these three things. And if you hear individuals implying even remotely that you have to have their material to understand the Bible or any of that kind of thing, red flag. That's a cult mind. That's, that's cult, uh, cult mind at work. Or they uh, diminish or change uh, the person of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. That he's not uh, the Lord God Almighty himself manifest in the flesh. Red flag. Any that even remotely imply that works or righteous works are in any way, shape, or form a requirement or needed to earn, to gain, maintain, to keep, or self-atone for your, for your sins, for your salvation. Red flag. And then you know where the devils are at work. You just follow the red flags. All you need is the scriptures, the scriptures alone. Amen.
So there you go. Hope this has been a help and a comfort and an encouragement to you. Hope you enjoyed this video this day. This has been great. I really enjoy going through that. It's such a fantastic, beautiful example of how to talk to someone about the truth of the Lord. Is you use the scriptures. You plant the seeds of doubt in their mind of their belief by showing them this is what you say you believe, but this is what the Bible says. This is what you say you believe, but this is what the Bible says. You don't need philosophies and psychology and all other stuff. Show them just what does the word of God say. So get your nose in the book, get busy, start learning, memorizing, and go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. All right, so with that, we'll wrap it up there. Please make sure you check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and goodies. We also have free downloadable gospel track PDFs and e-tracks. Make sure you avail yourself to that. And if you need to reach out to us, we got a contact us link on our website as well, christiancoffeetime.ca. So make sure you check all that out. And as well, check out our YouTube channel. we got tons of other goodies, tons of other videos and playlists and uh, Bible study series. Make sure you check that out. And uh, yeah, so there you go. So God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always... If I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.